0: Hey, miserable bitches!
1: We're back with another episode of Misery Manner. My name is Cody.
0: My name is Emily.
1: And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Oh, 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 oh. welcome 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 we are so welcome to your favorite podcast (laughs) aren't you so excited to be here yes good well not gonna chit chat too long me and emily had quite the weekend this weekend we celebrated gay pride in dallas texas and i think we drank more than our liver has ever tolerated especially emily
0: yeah i drank a lot
1: she lost her (laughs) phone purse sunglasses all and it was just all in the backyard just sitting on a table don't know when she went out there but i was like emily where is your phone where is your purse i don't know i think i left it at the bar just as <laughs> chill as can be i was like well no baby we that's not <laughs> that's not good we need to go find it she was like i don't know meanwhile she's eating 14 <laughs> match 14 hash browns a pancake and mashed a bowl of mashed potatoes so she was starched up honey
0: <laughs> those are some really good hash browns <laughs> i know did you put them in an air fryer yeah do i need an air fryer now
1: do you not have one
0: where in my apartment when i get with
1: the times honey we're not cooking from the stove anymore or the oven
0: well i just made us food from the oven
1: well the main reason why i don't like ovens is because it makes the whole house so fucking hot you know because it, yes it just and up. my
0: oven now has cheese all at the bottom there's like cheese
1: brownies all that good stuff but guys we had a really wonderful time um I this went. week we're gonna take our time to just detox and just sweat it out and just drink lots of water yes and one thing i learned about emily bless your heart if you know She's she has celiac for those of you that don't know. She cannot have anything with gluten. And it's like not one of those things like eh, I'm gluten free because it's like a trend and you think it's cool. No, the bitch will have explosive dye dye all over the <laughs> all over the place. So try going to a restaurant with her. We're like, can she have anything off the menu? He literally goes, Yeah, a bowl of fruit and some <laughs> eggs. And we're like, Poor baby, she's starving and you want her to eat eggs and fruit.
0: It was good.
1: Yeah. So we made um gluten-free pancakes and those
0: were good. And
1: Josh put uh what are the blueberries in them with all sorts of good stuff. So it was a fabulous weekend.
0: It was so much fun and we got to celebrate everyone let's see I went to Gaga the weekend before. Then I went to Pride. So it was like I did Pride 2 weeks in a row. Yeah,
1: for or less than 2 weeks. That was on that Tuesday.
0: Oh, that what? Oh, yeah, yeah that so she's weeks. been
1: real she's been real supportive. She's been a real ally this past week.
0: I have
1: all right well um yeah so also patreon shout outs you're up next um so many so many this week so love you wish i could just give y'all each a hug and just rock you to sleep (laughs) we have donna not my mother kiara Jarrett, zoe tony brianna and jada
0: did you write a poem for any of them
1: no, those aren't, they didn't pick those tiers. So um, remember, if you pick the $20 tier, I get to perform a poem for you.
0: I thought one of the people gave us a $20. And I'm
1: still working on hers. That's oh, the girl it is from Australia.
0: Be very special, man.
1: Yeah. So um, just so you know, I know we say it every episode. So, and I know you're tired of hearing it, but we do have a $1 tier now. So if you just want to listen to our exclusive episodes, there's a $1 tier for you. Anything higher, you'll be getting um, enamel pins bath bombs we have these like serial killer murder trading card things that are pretty cool and emily's going to be sending out
0: some uh, little gift bags for everybody
1: within the next like
0: two weeks or so because i'm closer to halloween
1: yeah so you'll be getting all that good stuff i did message each of y'all on patreon for your address so if you haven't responded yet please do so that we can send it you your good stuff yeah send it you send it you mama send it send it send it you and then last but not least please continue to rate review subscribe if you're listening to this right now that means you have your phone out so pick it up and scroll down <laughs> and give it a five stars anything less no ma'am we no just go somewhere else <laughs> or just email us but um yeah that's it do you have anything else to add
0: um oh yeah still send in questions that you have we're gonna try to do that again if you have any type of personal question. I'm not saying you're gonna get an answer, but you can do that. Or if What's your had... body count? <laughs> For what?
1: You don't know what that means? What's your body count?
0: Like how many people you've killed?
1: <laughs> well, please don't answer that. No, it means like how many people you've slept with. You said ask anything. Uh, but yeah, you okay. can ask anything and we'll pick. We'll post next Sunday. We'll do them every other week and then we'll answer two of your questions. Make them, you can say honestly, ask whatever you want, like appropriately.
0: Yeah, it can be about the podcast. It can about, be about little uh, Nikki. It can be about anything. Cody's bathroom habits. Oh. oh.
1: Yes, I just had a bathroom habit right before this. <laughs> 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 All righty, moving right along, you shitty little bitch. All right, so last week we went over an exorcism as well as an unsolved prison break. But this week, I'm going to get us back into the whole murdery, true crimey type of stuff that I know everybody loves to hear about. So this week, we are going to be talking about serial killer Christopher Bernard Wilder. Have you heard of him?
0: Nope.
1: So he's known as the beauty queen killer. So you would be good.
0: He yeah. targets young, Only pretty gorgeous, girls.
1: pretty girls. So I, that's the first thing I said. Is Oh, Emily would be saved from this. <laughs> I'd be screwed. You no. would be. I'm kidding. Um, so let's get into him. So Chris Wilder is an Australian serial killer who abducted and raped at least 12 young women and girls, torturing some and killing at least eight of them during a six-week cross-country crime spree through the United States in early 1984.
0: So he was from Australia, but he was like...
1: He, yeah, and I'm going to explain how he comes back and forth. Ooh. So while, uh, So Chris's series of murders began in Florida and continued across the country through Texas, Oklahoma colorado nevada in california and he attempted abductions and murders in washington state in new york state guys the craziest part about this is when i was researching this in texas the the murder happens in my hometown of beaumont texas at the university where a lot of my friends listening to this right now lamar university like attended school so guys for a few of you that are listening that are from beaumont this might hit home for you all right, so we have lots to cover. So first, let's get into who Chris Walder is in his home life growing up. So Chris Walder was born March thirteenth, 1945 in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. So Chris came out of the wound, already causing a motherfucking scene. During the delivery, Chris struggled to breathe, and the doctors were fearful that he would die. Well, I guess that's I'm not sure really that. his option, but he was like, ah! and he was blue. So they tried to say might to fix the issues but Chris content- Chris's condition was not getting any better. They could not get him to breathe properly on his own. Therefore, he was like turning black and blue. They thought this little baby is about to croak over. So they were so sure that Chris was not going to make it that they actually called in a priest and he was like rushed in the room. He started praying and preaching over the baby and miraculously
0: preaching they- over him. Or praying.
1: Praying. Oh. <laughs> I said preaching, but he might have gave a little sermon or two. <laughs>
0: He's like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you.
1: <laughs> so after being prayed over, the baby's vital signs began to approve, and soon enough, he was making quite the recovery. Before long, Chris was in the clear, so he got to go home and live his life. But it wouldn't be too much longer before Chris had another run in with death. When Chris was two years old, he nearly drowned to death. So some reports that I found say that he actually slipped into a pool, but others suggest that he was at the beach and got caught up in the waves and drowned, or almost drowned. So either way, the incident had lasting effects on Chris's health and played a huge role in his physical and mental health. So Chris would go on to suffer from convulsions and fainting spells for the next few years because of this. I think the lack of oxygen to his brain. Makes sense. So the convulsions were painful and they affected Chris's mental health. So he wanted to be strong like his father, who was a war hero, but dealing with the convulsions along with other physical pains caused by the near-death experience, he felt very weak and pitiful. And he was on a lot of medication as well.
0: I feel pitiful sometimes.
1: You is. So let's talk about Chris's childhood. So oddly enough, considering that he goes on to be a serial killer, his childhood was actually a very pleasant one, which is shocking because like all the other stories that we go through or that we've discussed in the past typically have a very, you know, crazy upbringing. So his father was a U.S. naval officer and his mother was a beautiful Australian woman and the two were in a happy and loving relationship and provided Chris a comfortable and stable middle-class life. The family did not struggle with finances and the family were able to do as they pleased when they pleased. So, Chris was an average student who attended great schools and made passing grades. He held dual citizenships in both America and Australia, which is amazing. But instead of using these privileges to better himself and just be like this ideal person, as Chris got older and became more self aware, he became spoiled and entitled and saw himself losing a lot of his friends because he was very self-righteous and thought he was like the shit. Um, but that's okay because he found a different friend group that actually really liked him, but they were kind of like the troublemakers and the people that weren't very, uh, the ones that your parents tell you not to hang out with. This
0: was in high school?
1: hmm So in his early teens, Chris, who was once a great student, started avoiding his responsibilities at home and at school, and instead spent most of his time hanging out with friends and drinking on the beach. However, girls started to take notice of Chris, not only because he had money, but he was very charming, he was funny, and he had all the confidence in the world. So Chris spent a lot of time playing sports, like surfing, um, soccer, volleyball, and he developed a very athletic build. So the girls were like, Oh, baby, come on over here. Even though he was like, arrogant. But little did they know that Chris was harboring these dark, dark thoughts. So he had fantasies of sexualized dominance. Okay. So he had 100% noticed the girls at the beach, but instead of imagining taking them on a date and like kissing them and like romanticizing them, He was fantasizing about kidnapping, torturing, and raping the girls. In high school. In in high school. So in the early 1960s, when Chris was 15 or 16 years old, he started sneaking out of the house, but Chris wasn't meeting up with friends or going to parties and such. He was going around his neighborhood looking for women that he thought was attractive. And once he did, he would follow her home and wait. So Chris would watch them through their windows hoping to catch a glimpse of them naked. So one night, a concerned neighbor spotted Chris and was like, "Uh, what the fuck are you doing? And Chris was like peeping into one of the windows of the home and the neighbor immediately called police and was like, you need to get here there's a young child.
0: Uh, They were called peeping Tom's and back then they were just like laughed about basically. Right.
1: So when the authorities arrived, they let Chris go with the warning and like a little slap on the wrist, like, don't do that Exactly. because of the lack of punishment in Chris's mind. He was like, oh, well, there must not be much wrong with what I'm doing. If that's the only punishment that I got. So he started imagining what else he could get himself into.
0: Like what else he could get away with.
1: Yeah. So around 1963, when Chris was 17, he went to the beach with a couple of his friends. There they swam, surfed, and enjoyed some alcohol. Eventually Chris was like, let's go find some girls to talk to. And his friends were like, yeah, let's go walk on the beach until we find one. So the boys walked on the beach until they found a 13 year old girl sitting alone in the sand. So at first they were friendly and was like, hey, why are you all alone? You know, you're way too pretty to be here by yourself. Do you want to like hang out with us and drink some alcohol? But when Chris sat down next to her, the young girl got really nervous and she tried to leave. Chris, who at this point was drunk, grabbed her arm and pulled her back down and said, where the fuck do you think you're going?
0: In front of other, the other guys. In front of
1: his friends. And the young girl began to cry and she was like, what are you doing? Like, please help me. I'm scared. Like, my parents should be back. Like, please don't, please don't. And Chris did not care at all. He dragged the young girl behind a sand dune, and raped her while his friends stood guard to make sure nobody was coming. I'm sure that
0: excited him that she was like trying to get away. Oh,
1: loved it. R- that he was hard right when she said no. <laughs> so when he was done, he walked away like nothing happened. Like, oh, see ya. So the 13-year-old managed to find help and reported the incident to police, giving a full description of the guys and even gave Chris's name because she had heard the guy say his name. He introduced himself by his name, which not very smart. And so, and because Chris was so well-known in the area because of his like antics, you know, he was constantly getting in trouble and because of his family, they knew which Chris he was, she was probably talking about and they arrested him immediately.
0: Well, I don't think he was planning on doing that to her. He probably thought that she was going to agree if he's arrogant, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So at the trial, Chris's parents came to his defense and they argued for Liam's, Leniency. leniency they were like your honor he is a good kid with a bright future ahead of him this is was a mistake he didn't mean to it won't happen again like jail's gonna ruin his life he has so much going on with him please like you know our family and the judge agreed and chris was sentenced to a year of probation in order to undergo counseling so at counseling chris admitted that he had very violent fantasies and went to detail a bit, uh, with the counselor about exactly what he wanted.
0: Was he trying to get help?
1: Yeah. Well, he was acting like he was actually mentally disturbed, you know, which he is, but he kind of had to feed into that, you know, Like like
0: he was trying to act like he was insane.
1: Right. So the doctor he was speaking to was very concerned with what he heard too. And thought that Chris should have a more intense treatment, not just, you know, talking back and forth. So, you know what he suggested? Electroshock therapy. zap it right out of you honey
0: this is late 60s now or we're still in early 60s i
1: think we're still in early 60s so chris hated the electroshock therapy which
0: it fucks you well, up did if any, it doesn't kill you. Right.
1: So, but I'm just saying like all the reports were like he hated it. Well, does anybody like it?
0: I mean, I don't think so. I would think it's like literally frying your brain. Yeah.
1: And so he said that he didn't like it because it made him feel helpless and out of control. But okay. as we get in here, you're going to realize it's a control thing. So his mind turned in a different direction. So Chris now started imagining what, what it would be like to use this particular method on women. So he's like, uh, oh, okay, so this is painful for me, but what if I and, started doing this to And
0: I can't, and he, you're totally, what did you say, he felt helpless, whatever? So. Right. Okay.
1: So, so on January 11th, 1965, a pair of 15-year-old girls, Marianne and Christine, were brutally attacked while walking together on the beach. The best friends were simply enjoying their time on the beach when they are abducted, assaulted, and stabbed to death. Their bodies were found the next day buried in a few inches of sand. So the tragic crime, which was widely publicized, shocked the beachside community around Sydney and led to one of the largest investigations in Australian history to date. So it's important to note that at Wanda Beach, the murders are still to this day unsolved. And Chris Walters' involvement has never been proved. But those were his Stomping grounds. But in the late 1960s, he was listed as the prime suspect. By that time, life had returned to normal on the beaches around Sydney and memories of the murders had just faded away. So parents, children, and young girls who lived in that area were just told to, like, hey, relax, you know, it's all going to be fine. You know, we're going to get this person, yada, yada, yada. So now Wilder, who is, or Chris Wilder, who's 21. I think he did it. So you're, I'm going to give you more scenarios of him on that beach, but that's just one of the scenarios that they think could be tied to him, but it's still to this day unsolved. But, but
0: everything I, else that's proven is after 1965?
1: Yes. Okay. Exactly. So I get it. So okay. they think these, these is one, that was like one of the first ones that he did. So it was around this time that Chris met a 20-year-old school teacher who I'm going to call Lisa Frank because I don't know her name. So Lisa oh. Frank. And Chris, so Chris noticed Lisa and her 15 year old sister walking on the beach. So Chris walked over to the two young ladies and struck up a conversation with them and was like, Hey, like, we should hang out. Like, I can show you both some really cool things around the area. What do you say? Like, I'm a little busy today, but let's hang out tomorrow. So they agreed because they were both really charmed by his, this handsome man with this like American accent. And they were really like, Ooh, he had an
0: American accent. Yeah.
1: I think from traveling back and forth is he cute no
0: would i think he was cute
1: probably so the following day chris showed lisa and her sister his favorite surf spots and the best places to swim so after a long and day, the water day, yeah like but like little coves and stuff uh-huh. you know where the waves aren't too um choppy choppy so after a long and eventful day the three split up but they all still kind of kept in touch so eventually becoming good friends chris and leah Lisa grew closer and uh, closer and their relationship turned romantic, but Lisa couldn't help notice that Chris's eyes never stopped looking at her younger sister. So as time passed, the girl's father noticed too. And he was like, like enough is enough. Chris, what are you doing? Stop. Why are you looking at her? And he was like, I don't know like what you're talking about. Like I only have eyes for Lisa. I can promise you that. But, the father was like uh uh-uh, uh something is fucked up with this bro. So and that's not the weird the end of the weird occurrences. So there was a time at a dinner party at Lisa's house where Chris got angry about something and like completely went unhinged, made a huge scene in front of the guests and punched through a window. <gasps> so another time he flirted with Jane's or Lisa's mother when they were alone in like the kitchen. He was like coming on to her and She was like, "Um, Chris definitely was coming on to me when we were alone. Like, I have a really bad feeling about him. However, all the arrogance. However, these strange occurrences and advice from her parents to like, they were like, Lisa, you need to get rid of him. This isn't good. She was like, no, I like him. I think he's a great guy. How old is she? Teens.
0: Oh, my mom would have been like, you're never talking to that person again.
1: Right. So February 1968, against the wishes of her parents, So, this is a few years later. Mm -hmm. Lisa and Chris got (gasps) married. Married. So, they were
0: together for a couple years. But,
1: this is, you're going to laugh at this. They're not going to live happily ever after. In fact, the marriage lasted a week.
0: Oh, I was going to say two weeks.
1: (laughs) Because as soon as Lisa moved in with Chris, he started acting out his fantasies so he forced lisa to have sex with him multiple times a day often in like these painful situations and positions and stuff like like not like cute bdsm type stuff like hurtful like pricking rapey. and like rapey so if lisa was ever like you know i'm tired i don't feel like it can we just watch a movie instead chris would beat her to a bloody pulp. And this happened several times a day too. So she wasn't going out in public anymore. She was bruised, she was battered. So Lisa could tell that Chris no longer had love for her. And she honestly felt in her heart that Chris wanted her dead.
0: What was his like job? How are they getting money? He has
1: money, his parents give him oh. money, yeah. So on two occasions, Lisa lost control of her car because her car had been drained from brake fluid. So she couldn't put on the brakes. And she thought that he did it another time she woke up from a nap and the house was like engulfed in the smell of gas and she was like what the fuck? where is that coming from so she got up and found the gas stove turned on so she turns it off and she's like choking and she looks outside and chris is just sitting in a chair like as if he's just like waiting for something to happen to her like inside the house but it did it in there. On multiple occasions, Chris would call Lisa's sister and offer to, like, take some sexy pictures of her. So, of course, Lisa's little sister was like, uh, Lisa, Chris is wanting to take photos of me. Like, what do, What should I do? And so Lisa started going through his stuff. Like, why would he want to do that? Like, that's very odd. So one day when he wasn't home, she started digging through his stuff. And lo and behold, Lisa found a briefcase hidden in his dresser drawer. And inside were panties. I think used panties. (laughs) I love that word. And photos of women posing nude for him.
0: remember when I asked you to take a sexy photo of me.
1: Yeah, that was not sexy. (laughs) So, um... So she's looking at these photos and she's like, what the hell, my husband? Uh Uh-uh. So after-
0: Wait, how old were the girls in the photos, do you think?
1: It just said young women. But if Uh. it's what we're going to talk about later, teenage and young, like young 20s. So after over a year of dating and a week of marriage, Lisa was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So Mm -hmm. she packed a bag and she left for good. But when she arrived at her parents' house, she went up to them and said, Mom, Dad, you know, there's something I need to talk to you about. Chris, on a lot of occasions, beat me, forced me to have sex, and I think he wants me dead. And then she went on to tell them, you know, I found pictures of women posing nude for him. Like, I had to just get the fuck out of there. It was not a healthy relationship. And then said, after everything I witnessed and I went through, I think Chris is responsible for those murders at Wanda Beach. Because, yeah, this is a few years later. So I the next if she m-
0: found swimsuit bottoms.
1: It said panties. Stop, <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> so the next morning, after telling our parents that, Jane and her mother called the police and told them about their suspicion with Chris and like how it could be him. It was a long shot, but they figured any information would help solve mm-hmm. this case. So police listened to their statements and promised them that they would at least question Chris. However, when they arrived at Chris's house, they found it empty. So in nineteen sixty nine, twenty first in a day, mm-hmm. he
0: he he, um, bolted. Got in a the fuck.
1: Oh, because he, you're gonna, he's a smart guy. So you're gonna find it like he knows what the fuck he's doing. So I think when she left, he knew that she was gonna tell people. Well, I'm sure and she he got the hell out of there. Too. Right. So, oh, here we go. In 1969, 24-year-old Chris went on the run. So he had learned that he was a suspect because of what the, parent, the parent's calling, and he panicked before police could show up and question him. So he packed up his camera, boarded a plane, and left the country to head for Florida. So when the plane touched down in... Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Chris knew he didn't want to make the same mistakes that he had made in Australia. So he genuinely just kind of wanted to start over with the clean slate. So Chris knew that he was skilled in construction, so it was very easy for Chris to get plenty of work at this time. So lucky for him, at this time, Florida was going through what they called a building boom, Mm -hmm. so opportunity for construction and building was everywhere. So, so much that a few years later, Chris was even able to start his own successful contracting business. So now he's the CEO of this company that's doing very, very good. So Almost immediately, the business takes off. It's a success, and the money allowed for Chris to live very lavishly. So wow. he bought a huge house with an indoor swimming pool, a luxury boat, and very expensive flashy cars. So Chris would even enter his sports cars into, like, racing tournaments. He served. He hosted these extravagant dinner parties at home, and he was considered around town as, like, a playboy. Of course. So Chris would go on, um, as men, like go on so many dates to just kind of fill his nights because he was just like a lonely, lonely bachelor. Um, but Chris thought the busier and more distracted he was, the less of the violent urges would come out. Because remember, he's trying to keep a low profile for as long as possible. But that little pecker is wanting some in a yeah. dark, dark way. Yeah. However, the more Chris tried to hide his violent side, the stronger it got. So eventually, the harder it got. Harder it got. So Chris, his fantasies were overwhelming him, and he put out his old camera. And you know what? He was like, "I'm going to start taking pictures of women again. Start slow, just pictures." So back but in
0: unsolicited, like pictures where they don't know. This. No,
1: no, no. All these women are going to agree to the pictures. So. Back in Australia, Chris's favorite place to approach teenage girls was on the beach. However, in Florida, he decided to change things up a little bit.
0: Disney World.
1: His new hunting ground would be the shopping malls. Mm. So in the 1970s, the mall was considered a safe enough place for teenagers to hang out without their parents. I mean, I even remember in the early 2000s, we would get our friends together and just go hang out at the mall. I
0: thought shopping malls weren't really big until the 80s.
1: I don't know. We weren't allowed then. But I, I remember we used to go to the mall all the time, and I did think it was safe. Now no. So Chris knew that this would be, like, the perfect area to find a young, innocent girl. So once Chris found someone that piqued his interest, he stalked them using his camera as, like, a prop and pretended that he was a modeling agent. Yeah. So he would approach the young girls and say like, hey, I hope you're doing well. I'm a modeling agent and I couldn't help but notice your striking looks. Would would you be interested in letting me take some photos of you? I think you would be perfect for the job that I'm hiring for. And although almost all the girls were like, get away from me, weirdo, because it happened a lot, some of the women were like, yeah, you can photograph me, go ahead. Um, however, the girls that agreed to it found themselves in a very scary situation. So once the girls agreed to be photographed, photographed, Chris would tell them, all right, follow me. I have a really nice setup in the parking lot and it's only going to take a few minutes.
0: In the parking lot.
1: So when the girls got to the location, his tone changed and he started to photograph the girls. He would say, great. Now just take off your clothes. We're almost done so too afraid to say no a lot of the girls would just do it i mean they were alone and they didn't think anybody would be able to save them so they did it so when some of these teenagers complained to the police chris was arrested but because of his clean criminal record in america he was let off the hook with no jail time in order to pay a fine to complete some sort of probation
0: which is nothing for him
1: so chris considered this a win because once again, he was let off the hooky hook. So in the late 1970s, a family hired Chris to help with their home renovations because remember, Chris is really good at building things and owned that contracting company. Mm -hmm. But while on the job, he noticed that if the family had a very young, attractive young teenage daughter. Was she young? I said that twice, didn't I? Yeah. I just wanted you to know she was very young. So when no one was looking, Chris approached the young girl, lured her to his truck, and forced her to perform oral sex on him. Eventually, Chris released her. Oh my God, I put eventually Chris released. I forgot (laughs) that he probably did both. And she immediately told her parents what he had done. So they wasted no no time and called the police to issue an arrest, and he was charged with sexual battery. So it appeared that finally the law had caught up with Chris. During questioning, Chris admitted to investigators that he frequently masturbated to the thought of raping young girls. He was like, don't get me wrong. Yes, I masturbate to the thought of that. But he said, the crime was a result of my underlying anxiety problems. I would never do that if it it was consensual. I would never do that if I didn't have anxiety. I promise you, I'm not a bad guy, baby. I have anxiety not once have I said come on over here and slob on my (laughs) knob
0: like like that is
1: not anxiety baby but you know what his charm his passion his charisma worked and the jury agreed and they said you know what he's just shaken up you know the jury the jury let him go over this let him go and they said you know what let him go, give him some help that he needs. He needs to get on some medication, yada, yada, yada. So he was like, you know what? I need to perfect my skill so that I don't have this close call ever again. So in 1980, 35-year-old Chris drove his pickup truck to the Palm Beach Mall, grabbed his camera, and walked his ass on in. So Chris took his time walking around the mall, waiting for an opportunity to snag a beautiful young teenager. So after some time, Chris noticed two teenage girls shopping in the back of the store and Chris decided to approach them. He said, hello, beautiful girls, how are you? I'm a modeling agent and I think uh, you would be perfect for the job that I'm hiring for. Lucky for you, I think you're the ones that I want. So he flashed his like big business card and then the two girls asked him, they're like, what is the job for? Chris said that he was shooting a magazine for a pizza restaurant so right up your alley and yeah. and having had pizza
0: yesterday.
1: And he was like if I had y'all two, it would sweeten the deal. I think you would be the perfect perfect models for this, you know, advertisement. So the girls were like, "Oh hey, I think we can manage that. We've never done something like this before." And he was like, "Don't worry, I'll guide you. You're going to be pros. I will each I will pay you each $75 too while we're at it."
0: Did they get pizza?
1: yes so the girls were thrilled and chris told them that he was even going to drive them to a pizza place to take photos outside of it you know because it fit the whole scene and after they finished the shoot chris bought each of the girls a slice of pizza and offered to drive them back to the mall so they were like hell yeah but when they got back into his pickup truck and arrived at the mall he sent one girl back into the mall on a fake errand leaving him all alone with the other teenager. So when Chris bought the girl's pizza, they didn't know this, but he had sprinkled drugs <gasps> over one of the pizza slices and gave it to the girl that he liked more. Ew. So she was in the car and she kept saying, you know, I feel dizzy. I feel nauseous. And he was like, just lay down for a little bit. Like, you'll you'll be fine in a second. Just lay down. And when she passed out, Chris raped her.
0: In the back of the car?
1: Mm-hmm, we'll in the back the of his truck. Oh, truck. So, The failures of justice didn't end there. So, Wilder manipulated a sex therapist. So, he got caught, right? So, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a little bit. So, after the attack and rape, Chris let the teenager go, but Mm -hmm. she immediately reported him to the police. So, once again, Chris was arrested and convicted of sexual assault, but shockingly, the judge, well, I guess unshockingly, is that a word? No. The judge declined any jail time, and instead, she said, you know what? You need to be on five years of probation and you need to go to sex therapy. Okay. So, but while at sex therapy, Chris manipulated the therapist into believing that he was making progress. So he managed uh, to obtain a travel permit from the courts claiming that seeing his parents would help his treatment so the courts thought this would be a great idea and on december 6 1982 chris packed his camera into a bag and boarded the plane back to sydney australia but when he landed he didn't go see his parents instead he rented a car and drove to a place called manly beach which was seven miles north of sydney so when he got there chris took out his camera walked through the crowd and he was searching for the right girls of his desires. So Mm -hmm. Chris noticed 16 year old girl named Fiona getting out of her father's car. She was Mm -hmm. not green.
0: I love that name.
1: So he watched as her dad drove away and decided to approach Fiona with a smile and the same messaging that he had used in the past. So Chris went up to Fiona and said, wow, I just have to say, you have the perfect body for modeling. I can make you famous do you mind if I take a few photos of you? I can even give you $100 for your time. And Fiona was thrilled. She was like, I've always wanted to be a model. This is amazing, let's do it. Where do you wanna go? So Chris smiled and led her to a secluded part of the beach and there he said, lay down in the sand and smile up at the camera. And before long he said, now let's change it up a bit. Take off your clothes. And he made her pose in these very sexual positions, but nervous. She was nervous, but she was desperate to be a model. So Fiona did whatever he said. She was like topless and all this crazy stuff. So eventually Chris realized that Fiona wasn't doing what he said because she feared him. But instead she was doing it to please him. So Fiona thought so highly of him because she truly believed that he was a modeling agent. um, And she wanted to be a model so badly that she listened to everything he asked. Um, And he caught on to this and wanted to see what else she was willing to do. So he said, hey, you know what would make these photos even better? She was like, what, what? Tell me, I can do it. He said, what if we add another girl in the photo? Do you want to help me find another teen girl like you? And she was like, sure, yeah, let's go find one. So eventually they walked down the beach looking all over for the perfect girl. Eventually they came across a young girl that was sitting on a bench that caught Chris's eye. So Chris told Fiona, look. You see that girl over there? She is perfect. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to her, tell her that you're a model and that I'm your agent. Offer her an opportunity to take some photos with you and tell her that she has what it takes to be a model. She's perfect, go, 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 give her the confidence. So without hesitation, Fiona went. Chris told Fiona, wait right here while I go take photos of her, I won't be gone long. So after Chris had been gone for some time, Fiona saw the other girl done with the session, walking down the beach, crying hysterically in just tears. So Fiona ran up to the girl and was like, are you okay? Like, why are you crying? Like, this is a great opportunity, don't be scared. And the young girl told Fiona that Chris forced her to photograph nude and then he just left her. So Fiona's heart started racing um, as she, Ran down the beach, she was looking for Chris, but soon realized that he was gone, too, and, like, left them both kind of high and dry. Like, he got what he needed and just kind of left them go. He had gotten what he wanted. So, they were done. But luckily, you know, he didn't. They lived. They lived, yes. So, three weeks later, on December 28th,
0: 1982.
1: That's my parents' anniversary. Oh. Chris returned to the beach. As he was walking alongside the beach, he saw two 15-year-old girls hanging out with their friends. They fit exactly what Chris was searching for. So he approached them and used the same methods that he had used with Fiona and tried to lure them away from their friends. So I guess he only wanted two out of the, like, seven. So he was like, y'all two, come here. So he Mm -hmm. told them that he wanted to photograph them in a secluded spot away from everybody. So obviously the two girls... I mean, I if I feel like if somebody came up to me at that age, I'd be like, sure, <laughs> I'd probably do it. Yeah, you would. So the girl's friends caught on to like what was going on and they went up to the friends and was like, you know, what is going on? What is this guy saying to you? Like, I'm kind of worried. And they explained like, oh, you know, he wants to take photos of us. He thinks we are models. Like he just, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the girls were like, No. That does not sound safe. You need to stay with us. Like, we're having so much fun. Like, why do you think you need to leave? But like Fiona, the two girls were blinded by Chris's tactics and told them, like, no, 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 it won't be long. He's a very famous photographer. I saw his portfolio. I saw his card. Like, this is our chance to be a model. We'll be right back. Like, don't even worry. So he offered each of the girls $75 and they agreed to go with Chris to the secluded area. The girl's friends were still very concerned and decided to get a description of his car in case something bad happened. I'm like, smart girls, smart girls. So Chris drove the girls to a secluded part of the beach where his demeanor changed. (laughs) When they arrived, he got the girls out of the car and told them, take off your clothes now. And they were like, oh shit, this got dark.
0: Please don't look at me ever and he again made, when you say that. He
1: made them pose in very sexual positions and frightened the two girls did what they were told. Mm-hmm. So Chris continued to take photos of the two girls and was getting aroused with how frightened and easily controlled they were. So Chris was not able to control himself much longer, so he drove the terrified girls back to his hotel. There he tied them to the bed and threatened them disgusting. by saying, if you scream or try to get away... I will hurt you, and then he sexually assaulted them, raped them, tortured them for hours on end. So meanwhile, back at the beach where the friends were, they're like getting worried. They're like, um, this is taking a lot longer than expected. Where are they? Like this is this isn't good. So the friends found a police officer walking on the beach and told them what happened. And they were really concerned for their friends, yada, yada, yada. And the officer immediately ra- radioed for the other units to be on the lookout for Chris's car. Because remember, years prior, he was known to be doing that. And they said, oh, his name's Chris. He said his name was Chris. So he was
0: telling them that, because that was going to my next question, is what was he telling them his name was? Right.
1: Idiot. So the patrol officer driving by a hotel spotted the car that he was using in the parking lot. So they approached Chris's room and knocked on the door. Do do do. Chris answered and he looked and sounded like a hot mess. They said like he was just like disheveled hair crazy, just looked a hot mess. And he immediately confessed to have taken photos, but said like, I don't have the photos anymore. I threw them away. I promise. So after searching his room, the police found the camera, but no film. Once he admitted that each of the girls allegations were true, the officers arrested Chris. So, Chris arrived at court for his committal hearing, and as he listened to the charges, he appeared calm and extremely confident, so much so that Chris insisted on returning to the U.S. He was like, I'm going to go back to the U.S. and I'll be different. So the judge sided with him and granted Chris to be released for a bond of $400,000, and his father paid for it, and he was released.
0: Well, you only had to pay. Like, what? You only paid 10%, Right.
1: I don't well it said he paid for it so i don't know if he paid 10 percent or the whole four hundred thousand dollars. but baby well
0: 40 would be 10.
1: but still i don't know if he paid the whole thing or not so wasting no time to get the fuck up out of there chris immediately boarded a plane to leave the country once again and head on back to the floor so by the way those two girls obviously lived. Mm-hmm. so chris knew that he could not get caught again like this was his only get out of jail card because i mean these are starting to rack up rack up eventually they're gonna be like look this dude is not learning he's going to prison.
0: Um, They haven't even realized that he's escalating. That's the wild part to me.
1: Right. So Chris knew that he cannot allow his victims to speak after the attack. And the only way he might have to do that is to kill them. So in 1983, shortly after Chris arrived back to his home in Florida, he went for a drive in a quiet neighborhood. He noticed two sisters aged 10 and 12 walking down the sidewalk. So Chris pulled up to the girls and motioned for them to come over and talk to him.
0: He's going younger now.
1: Yeah. I think these, these are going to be the youngest that he um, comes for. So they listened and they got closer. Chris pulled out a gun and ordered them to get in the back of the car. So the two girls started to cry, but as they did, um, sorry, the two girls started to cry, but they did as they were told. Mm -hmm. So once in the backseat of the car, Chris drove the girls outside of the city to an uninhabited part of the county. There, he pulled over and told the sisters um, while pointing the gun at them to get out. So Chris then threw a tarp down on the marshy grasslands and told them, take off your clothes. Remember, they're 10 and 12. So then he started to beat them and rape them for the next couple of
0: hours. Like the beating, like he wasn't even beating them to comply. I'm sure they were complying. Yeah,
1: he was beating them for control. So although Chris was never tried for this crime, there was enough evidence to support his involvement. So that's another one that he was not linked to. Wait. Because you'll see later, this is going to make sense.
0: Wait, say that sentence again?
1: So although Chris was never tried for this crime, there is enough evidence to support that he was involved. Yeah,
0: they probably just didn't want to send them to, sometimes like when um, offenders have been tried for another crime and like they find them responsible, I think it's up to like the victims or victims seem like, okay, do you want to press charges and go through the trial? And a lot of them say no. No,
1: yeah. So a year later- I think. But no that could be true but you're going to see later why you'll see just know that you'll see. So a year later Chris's urges became so strong that he started acting on them much more frequently. So in 1984 when Chris was 38 he entered his Porsche 911 into a Miami Grand 911, <laughs> 911 into a Miami Grand Prix which is like a Three. <laughs> oh. Which is like a racing competition of some sort. So there he saw a 20-year-old woman named Rosario Gonzalez working as a promotional model. And she really caught his eyes. And, oh, my God, she is drop-dead gorgeous. So this was like a week-long event. So Chris knew that she would be there the next day because he wasn't going to get her on this day. He was going to come prepared the next day. So... The next day, Chris returned to the racetrack with his camera, and he kept his eye on Rosario, waiting for the perfect opportunity. Mm -hmm. So when Rosario went on break, he approached her, and Chris told her, Hey, I'm not only a race car driver, but I'm also an entertainment and modeling agent. How serious are you about becoming a model? I really do think you have what it takes to be successful, and I can help you. Because remember, she's there as a model. so rosario couldn't believe her luck and she believed that this was her big break so chris told rosario that they needed to go somewhere scenic to take these photos so chris opened the door to his car and told her get in i'll take you it won't take too long this would be the last time that anyone would see rosario alive so that night rosario's parents filed a missing persons report on their daughter They demanded that the police act quickly because this was so out of character for Rosario not to call them, and they were certain that something had happened to their daughter. Surprisingly, the police started their investigation right away and began questioning people who were on the track that day and who had come in contact with Mm -hmm. her, but it was too late. To this day, her body has never been found, and it is widely believed that Chris killed her shortly after leaving the track. I just that to this day has never been found. So after only one week after the attack on Rosario on March 5th, Chris saw a woman he once dated. Now her name is 23-year-old Elizabeth Kenyon and she was at the gas station putting some gas in her car.
0: When did he date?
1: So, let's This is like a long time ago girlfriend. So Elizabeth was the former Miss Florida finalist and the former Orange Bowl princess winner. So she is stunning. I don't know how he's getting all these girls. So she had a smile that would light up the room. She was gorgeous. So she worked as a teacher for the emotionally disturbed students and had hopes of returning um, to school for modeling. She wanted to go to a modeling school well, why in New York. She
0: help him when so, we were together.
1: so Elizabeth had broken up with Chris though because of their 15-year age difference. Okay. So Chris saw her at the gas station and all of these feelings of like rejection came back up and he was like <sighs> Well, he didn't bark like a dog, but you know. So however, these two did remain friends after their breakup, because according to the clerk at the gas station, when they um, started talking, it looked very cordial, relaxed. They gave each other a hug. Um, But soon after their encounter, Elizabeth was reported missing. So after weeks with no progress in the case, Elizabeth's family hired a private detective. He tracked down the gas station clerk who remembered seeing Elizabeth talking to Chris. The investigator was surprised that Chris had told him that he hadn't seen Elizabeth for weeks. He was like, what? No, I haven't seen her in weeks. What are you talking about? So the investigator went to the police station and looked up Chris's arrest record. To his surprise, that's when he found the long list of sexual assaults on him. So he had this huge rap sheet that was like, so scary and the investigator said it sent like shivers down his spine of how long it was so from then on Chris was the main suspect in this but the police insisted that they did not have enough evidence to act right away I'm like yes you do at least bring him in for questioning so
0: yeah can't they because he was last seen with her
1: well but they were concerned that if Chris got word of it that he would just flee Flee back to Australia so one officer leaked what information he had to the press And on March 16th, three days after his 39th birthday, Chris opened up a copy of the Miami Herald newspaper. And although the article didn't name him personally, it did report that a wealthy Australian sports car fan was suspected in the disappearances of Elizabeth Kenyon and Rosario Gonzalez. So
0: wait, if he was going to flee, they could just flag his passport.
1: I don't know. I have no clue. So Chris okay. knew instantly that they were referring to him and felt like the walls were gonna be closing on him soon.
0: So he didn't like to be chased.
1: No, cause he he wasn't like getting these urges out quick enough. So he's gonna start acting, you know, more quick quicker because he wants, he wants to do this to as many women as possible. And the more he gets caught, the more he's like, oh my God, they're gonna catch me and I'm gonna have no time to do whatever I want. And he does not want to go to jail. And every time he was like arrested, they're like, I can't go to prison, I can't, I can't. So he's terrified of prison. So so back in Australia, his court date for kidnapping and sexual assault was quickly approaching. And on top of that, now in Florida, he had been connected with the two disappearances. Mm -hmm. So Chris was like, I gotta get the fuck out of town, like quickly. So, but before he could flee, Chris knew he had to get rid of any evidence that might be in his house. For, so, for two solid days, he scrubbed his house from top to bottom, every nook, every cranny. To get rid of any evidence because remember he was bringing the girls back to his house yeah
0: i'm just wondering how he's so. so far we haven't found any bodies and nope. like how is he murdering them
1: so he disposed of anything that could link him to a crime including his precious photographs of the naked young girls that he was so proud about so he like burned them all he got rid of everything that could link him so then he packed his camera equipment into his truck and he got the hell up out of there So at this point, Chris knew that he would eventually get caught. And because of this, he decided to go on a cross-country killing spree. So on March 18th, 1984, Chris drove two hours north to Merritt Island. He pulled into the Merritt Square shopping mall, grabbed the camera out of his trunk, calmly walked outside, and started hunting for his next victim. So he quickly laid eyes on a 21-year-old girl named Teresa Ferguson. She was shopping. So as, a Chris, as Chris approached her, he said, hey there, beautiful. Do you want to make some extra cash? I'm looking for a gorgeous girl like yourself to do some modeling work for me. Do you mind if I take a few photos of you? I have my portfolio in my car. I'd love to show you if you want to see. So Teresa agreed and stepped to, Wild, uh, to Chris Walder's car to look at his portfolio. And Chris made sure that he was like, that he kept up a conversation with Teresa because he was scared that she was going to notice how secluded they were. Cause you know, he would park way off in the middle of yeah.
0: nowhere.
1: So when they finally got to his car, Chris opened the trunk of his car as Teresa looked inside at all the camera equipment. Chris said, don't ask questions, get in to the trunk. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause he did not have any pictures. So
1: hour. I know. So Chris drove Teresa to an empty marshy area known as the Cannavaro groves. So he pulled up over um, near some like really tall marshy grass. Then Chris forced Teresa out of the car, wrapped his hands around Teresa's throat and strangled her until she died. Then when he was sure that she was dead, he rolled her body into the swamp water and just left her,
0: Alligators. which is
1: so strange. Cause like some of them he rapes and lets go. Some, he just strangles right off the bat and kills. So, Back at the murder scene, um, sorry, hold on. Meanwhile, back at the mall, Teresa's stepfather was frantically searching high and low for her. He was like, Teresa, like, where did you go? Like, they were, you know, when they get on the intercoms, they're like, Teresa, your father's looking for you.
0: They had to do that for me at Sam's a couple times when I was little.
1: Because you was eating all the food? Probably. So he was searching high and low for her and he found her car in the parking lot, but there was no sign of Teresa. So he called the police to report what had happened. So back at the murder scene, Chris was also calling the police. Cause you know what? His tr- his car got stuck in the marshy, like soft sand area. And it was like sinking and he couldn't get out of it. So he called the police and was like, I need a tow truck. I need this. I need that. Um, I'm stuck. So, um, they come, the tow truck comes, and pulls Chris out, and on his way, he went. I
0: was wondering about the, the car thing. I'm like, why did he? I mean, he has money. Why don't you just get a new car?
1: Well, he's in the middle of nowhere, and it's stuck. I know.
0: Before he left, I meant.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So less than three days later, after killing Teresa Bergeson, Chris stopped in Tallahassee, Florida, at the Governor Square Mall. So Chris simply walked into the mall like he had done every other time and was trying to find his next victim. He did not know how much time he had left, so he wanted to act quickly because he knew the cops were on his ass. So before long, he saw the perfect girl, 19-year-old Linda Grober. So she was like flipping through a rack of clothes inside a store, minding her own damn business, just trying to find her a cute little crop top and some like jeans
0: or something. How did you know what she was shopping for?
1: I know what they wanted. So she was young. She was beautiful. She was petite. She was just his type. So Chris made sure his camera was visible and approached her with a smile saying, hey, aren't you gorgeous? I don't say this to everyone, but I think you have what it takes to be a huge model. Have you ever thought about being on the cover of Vogue? I can make that happen. And so unlike some of the other girls, Linda laughed and said, are you fucking serious? Like, no, thank you. I'm a full-time student. I have no intention of being a model. You got the wrong girl. Besides, I don't even believe that you're a modeling agent. Go find somebody else. I love her. So the rejection didn't stop Chris because, you know, persistence was all part of his plan. So Chris kept close watch over Linda as she made her way throughout the mall and a couple more stores. So finally, as he as Linda left the mall, he followed her into the parking lot. <laughs> oh, like so that. as she neared her car, Chris started to run because he didn't want to like lose track of her. So when Linda turned to confront Chris, he just punched her right into the stomach as hard as he could, knocked the breath right out this young girl, and like she collapsed on the ground. So then he picked her up, carried her to his car, threw her in the trunk, locked her inside, um, and he kind of like looked around to see if there was any witnesses, but the parking lot was damn near empty and nobody saw a thing. So Chris had no clue where he was gonna go with her, so he just drove north. So in the trunk, Linda started to scream, she was crying, she was kicking, she was begging for help. So just to block out the noise, Chris just jammed a cassette tape into the radio and turned the volume up as loud as he could, just to block her out. So as the sunset, Chris the state line into Georgia and Chris sto- Chris, oh, Chris crossed the state line into Georgia and stopped at the Glen Oaks motel for the night. He rented a room and parked his car as close to the room door as possible in case there was an emergency. Then he cracked open the trunk and peeked into Linda to see how she was doing. So after hours trapped inside the trunk and fighting for her life, Linda looked exhausted. She was just just she was fighting for her life for so many hours like she was just visibly just exhausted and tired so chris knew she wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight so he covered her with the sleeping bag threw her over his shoulder and carried her inside the motel room so linda was relieved to be out of the trunk so she could like move her limbs a little bit get some fresh air but sadly her nightmare would only just begin so once inside the room chris dropped her on the bed and said close your eyes don't try to fight. Now, this is kind of this is gonna be wild. So as her eyes were closed, he then got super glue and glue glued her eyelids together, sealing them completely shut. So next, Chris hooked Linda up to a homemade torture device, which was a bundle of electrical cords.
0: Okay. He here wrapped we go.
1: Yep, just like the Electroshock Therapy. So he wrapped exposed wire around linda's fingers and toes and plugged the device into a wall socket so this device allowed chris to control how much electricity flowed through linda's body so if she made any noise he shocked her if she tried to escape he would shock her if he if she got out of line in any way he would shock her so linda was completely under his control and he loved it it's just what he wanted so chris continued to assault and rape linda in between these like statistic sessions of torture, when he needed like a little break, they would pause to watch TV. And How would... would
0: she watch TV? Her eyes were super glued. Well,
1: I'm about to get there. So they would watch his favorite show, Dallas, which is like this. Do you remember that yes. soap opera? It's like, it took place in actually Dallas. Josh and yep. I rode horses there. So to answer your question, little did he know Linda's glue had actually came undone and she was just holding her eyes together to like, play into it. But she used that as a way that she could see the room, right? So her vision was very blurry, but she could see where he was sitting and that the bathroom door was wide open. And she was like, if I could just get to that bathroom.
0: The bathroom.
1: I know. So Linda feared that if she didn't make a move soon, that he was going to kill her. So Linda made the decision of her life. She quickly ripped off the wires from her fingers and toes and ran into the bathroom. She grabbed the door uh, to shut and lock it, but before she could shut it, Chris was already bursting through the door, and he was furious. He was cussing at her, screaming, and he grabbed a near uh, blow dryer and just started beating her in the head with it. And she fell to the ground, and her eyes rolled back into her head. So Chris thought that she was either unconscious or dead. But Linda's a smart bitch, and I fucking love her. She was neither. It was all an act. So when he hit her, she fell to the ground and put her eyes back, and it and an act so linda just continued to lay helpless on the floor and waited until chris was in within striking distance so she reached up behind him and gouged her fingers into his <gasps> eyes as hard as she could so chris was like temporarily blinded by this so he stumbled backwards and this gave linda enough time to shove him out of the bathroom and lock the door behind her behind him so now she's in the bathroom by herself so so she started to scream she said she screamed so hard that her lungs actually hurt. So she's like, help me, help me. Somebody please help me. And she's just screaming bloody murder. And Chris was afraid that her cries would attract attention. Well,
0: yeah. So instead of like-
1: trying to like get in there and like beat the shit out of her, he just put his stuff into a bag and just got the fuck out of there. So finally, Linda was able to get the help that she needed and was brought to the hospital. So later at the hospital, detectives took down her, took down her report and they knew instantly who her attacker was or who they, who it might be. So they showed her a series of photographs from the men who could be her attacker. And without hesitation, she pointed at him and was like, him, without a doubt, it's him. And it was a photo of Chris Wilder. So this was all the evidence that they needed to make an arrest. So the FBI started a hunt of their own. So on March 21st, the day after Linda had escaped, Chris Walter pulled into a small country town of Beaumont, Texas, where <laughs> I'm from, and he pulled into Lamar University and was looking for a replacement vehicle. He knew he needed to get rid of his car; too many girls had seen it. He needs a new one. So, there was an attractive 20-year-old, 24-year-old nursing student named Terry Walden, and he and she caught his eye. So Terry was married with two kids and had lived in Beaumont all of her life. Her friends and family knew her as very sweet, very gracious, but a very careful person who would not be trusting of any strangers. So given that information, when Chris approached her, she immediately put her guard up. So Chris pulled up next to Terry and was like, hey, I just got to say I love your car. I'm a huge car fanatic. What is that car? Is that a 1981 Mercury Cougar? And Terry paid him like no mind. She was like, yeah, get away but then Chris said, look, I'm really out here looking for the perfect model for this magazine I'm shooting for. I'm a modeling agent from Florida. And I think today is your lucky day. You were exactly what I'm looking for. Terry was like, thank you, but I'm not interested. I'm a mother and no, I'm just here for school. But instead of leaving, Chris inched closer to her and it scared her. So he eventually left and the encounter scared uh, Terry so badly that she immediately drove home and told her husband. So she was like, oh my God, this creepy man came up to me in the parking lot. Something seemed off. He said he was like a modeling agent. I don't know. Something was just off. I don't think he was quite a modeling agency. So her husband told her, don't worry, you're safe now. Just be very careful next time. But unfortunately he was wrong. So two days later on March 23rd, Chris made his way to the local mall. Inside, witnesses remember seeing Chris solicit a uh, numerous young girls asking them if they wanted to be models, but all of them literally said, hell no. So them (laughs) Beaumont girls, they know what's up. They're like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going with you, bitch, bye. So disappointed and frustrated, Chris decided to try his luck elsewhere. So as he was leaving the mall, someone caught his eyes. It was Terry Walden again. So Terry had just dropped off her four-year-old daughter at daycare and decided to swing by the mall to do some shopping. So Chris immediately approached Terry and said, so, have you changed your mind about modeling yet? And Terry was like, no, I'm not interested. I already told you that. But Chris was, going, uh, was not going to back down that easily, so he followed Terry out of the mall. So as she unlocked the door of her car, Chris forced her over to the passenger seat and got beyond the wheel himself and just took off. So a few hours later, employees of the daycare noticed that um, her kids were still here and they were like, uh, so they called her husband. was like, Hey, are you or Terry going to be picking up your daughter today? She said she was, but she hasn't came by yet. So I'm getting a little worried. And he immediately knew something was wrong Like this was not like her at all. You know, she was very devoted to her kids. Like this would never happen. So he wasted no time and he called the police to report her missing. So meanwhile, back in the car, Chris was headed West all while Terry was begging and pleading for her life. She was like, please don't do this. I won't tell anybody I'm a mother and I'm a wife. They need me. Please don't do this. However, that did not face Chris one bit. So when he felt like they had made good enough distance, he found an isolated area, parked it, in, parked the car in, stopped the car, grabbed the knife, and just started stabbing her all over. So he stabbed her in the chest, and once he knew she was dead, he just threw her body into a canal. Okay. So Chris turned on, uh, turned to the open road in Terry's car. So now he took her car and left his car wherever, and. Um, Now he was in her car and he was on the open road for two days. So he drove north out of Texas and went into Oklahoma. So on March 25th, he resumed the hunt at Penn Square Mall in Oklahoma City. So camera in hand, he approached 21-year-old Susan Logan as she made her way around the mall. He's like, Hey, gorgeous. Wow. You caught my eye. Are you a model by chance? If not, I would love to take some photos of you. I'm a professional modeling agent. And I don't say this very often, but you have what it takes to be big. And Susan was like, really? Like, Thank you so much. Yes, I would love to. What do I need to do? So unlike Terry and Linda, Susan really did have real aspirations of becoming a model. It was her dream, so all of her friends and family said that she loved fashion and often thought about what it would be like to be a model in a magazine. So he offered Susan $100 and told her to follow him back to his car so they could take a couple of photos. I'm like, you want to take my photo in a car?
0: Not only that, but I'm like, Oh, like, maybe they were going to a second location. But
1: also, I think he's already stopped taking photos. He's, like, stopped taking photos at this point. He just wants to get them to the car, you know? Yeah, and so then, why
0: didn't he offer them, like, $300? I don't...
1: He has... To, they have to take the photos first, you know? And then he, like, pays them at the end.
0: I know, but he's not actually taking pictures of them, could he? I know, and he's so not he giving... offer them more money.
1: Oh, I know, but these little dumb teenagers will say, yeah, sure, I'll do it for $10 or some food. I would... At that time, I would say, hell yeah to anything, So he offered Susan $100, and he told her to follow him back to his car, where they would take the photos. So as they walked across the lot, Chris bragged about all the other models he had photographed and assured Susan that she was in good hands and had absolutely nothing to worry about. So Susan got into her car, and the two drove off north into Kansas. So after driving for a bit, Susan was like, um where are we going? Like, this is far. Like, what the fuck are we doing? And he's like, I'll bring you back. Like, don't worry. So Chris was like unfazed and she began to cry. So he quickly checked them into a hotel room where he tortured and raped Susan for hours. The next morning, Chris took Susan to the desert near a town called Junction City. And he stabbed Susan to death right under this like beautiful cedar tree and just left her body there for dead so meanwhile back in florida the fbi had set up a field office to hunt chris down and they were equipped with a photo id from linda grober and -hmm. assuming chris had stolen terry uh, walden's car they issued a national uh, a nationwide search so by this point every cop in america was on the lookout for terry's mercury cougar that he had stolen but somehow Chris still managed to avoid being caught. So on March 28th, Chris was tired of driving. So he pulled off on the highway in uh, Rifle, Colorado and checked into a hotel room for the night. So using his stolen credit card. So when the hotel clerk went to process it, a red flag with like a message popped up.
0: And this was in the 80s? Yes. Okay. Like I remember even in the 90s, like they would have to like look your name up in a book.
1: Oh yeah. For well so apparently when he swiped it or when she swiped it, this like red flag pinged, probably his name. Which I'm
0: like surprised but my point is like I'm surprised they could even had the technology to do that back right. then. Right.
1: And then some sort of message popped up. So it was instructing that the hotel clerk called the FBI. So the oh. Or the police. So, but, I mean, it could have been anybody. So, the following day on March 29th, federal agents surrounded Chris's hotel room with their guns drawn. But when they stormed inside, the room was empty.
0: Oh, my God. Chris had
1: hit the road early that morning. He got his coffee and his egg McMuffin, honey. He got out of there. And he was already on his way elsewhere. So it was frustrating. It was a frustrating close call for the FBI. And unfortunately, all they could do was just wait for Chris to strike again. So sadly, they didn't have to wait long. So a few hours later, Chris arrived at the Mesa Mall in Grand Junction, Colorado. There he lured 18-year-old Cheryl to his car. She went willingly, blinded by his lies and her own hopes and dreams of becoming a model someday. So we're not exactly sure what Chris told Cheryl that day, but we do know that she went with him voluntarily. We also know that she agreed to leave town with him later that day too. So the two arrived at a sandwich shop in a small town 110 miles away from Grand Junction, where he originally picked her up. And the two appeared very, uh, appeared very relaxed and friendly. They were having great conversation. Cheryl even reportedly told the waitress that they were on their way to Las Vegas and stopping at Durango on the way. The waitress said that they seemed very happy together, they were cheerful, and it just seemed like a bunch of, like, two friends. So the details of what happened next are unclear, but it appears for the next two days that Chris and Cheryl continued to to drive west. On March 30th, they were seen at the Four Corners Monument, after which Chris checked them into the Page Boy Motel in Page, Arizona. but around March 31st, Chris grew tired of her company. He pulled over on the patch of a desert near the Utah, Arizona border and just stabbed Cheryl in the chest. Then he left her for dead in the desert and continued his journey alone. So the FBI warned at this point, warned malls across the country that a serial killer named Christopher Wilder was on the prowl posing as a modeling agent. They even provided shopping centers with flyers of Chris's name and a picture and recommended that against holding events where young girls may gather. So at this time, nobody was getting new clothes. They were staying away from the mall. You're gonna wear them hand-me-downs until we figure out what the fuck yeah, is going on here.
0: Yeah, this year's catalog back then.
1: So the Meadows Mall in Las Vegas apparently did not hear the warning or they didn't care because you're gonna die. On April 1st, they hosted a modeling competition oh, Jesus. for girls ages 10 to 20 years old, promising the winner the cover of a Seventeen magazine. So when Chris heard this, that oh, he boner, to... oh.
0: It hit him in the face. Hit
1: him. <laughs> sure enough, armed with this camera, Chris walked into the mall, sat down next to the catwalk, and watched the models strut their stuff. He oh walked
0: there with his like little Kodak I
1: know.
0: wind up camera.
1: No, he actually had a really good camera because remember, he had a lot of money, so he bought oh. like a really good camera. So he watched as the teenage girls came out one by one, hoping for their big break. But one in particular caught his eyes, and that 17 year old Michelle Kaufman. So after the event was over, Chris told Michelle. Wow, I could not help but notice you. You hands down have what it takes to be a model. Can I help you get to that next level? Do you want to come see my portfolio? And Michelle was like over the moon. She was like, yes, yes, absolutely. So the two walked out to his car and once there, he wasted no time. He kidnapped, tortured, raped her, and he killed Michelle. And he dumped her lifeless body at a truck rest stop like near the bathroom.
0: I can only think of Michelle when you're saying that. It's making me sad. I
1: know. Michelle. She would win a modeling competition too. She would,
0: but she wouldn't be, never mind.
1: Actually, she, she might. And no, probably I don't be... mean
0: it like that. I just don't want to blame these kids. No, chances are any...
1: back at that age, Michelle would have won. I would have been with her and we both would have went with it. <laughs> so Chris continued west for like a day or two and he eventually arrived at the California coast. So on April 4th, Chris headed to the Del Mar Fashion Center in the coastal town of Torrance, Florida. There, 16 year old Tina Marie Risco was searching for a job. So she was filling out an application in one of the stores. Chris approached her from behind. Hey, Ew. I see you're looking for a job. You know, you don't have to work here. You have what it takes to be a model and I can help you get in the industry and you'll have access to fame and fortune. I'm a modeling agency. Agent. So <laughs> Tina was like, um, absolutely, and accepted the $100 and agreed to let him take her um, some photos of her. So she followed him outside to an area under this like blossoming tree that he was like, God, this is going to be gorgeous. And it was like a, uh, near a park. So Tina posed for the camera and she was actually enjoying herself a lot. So at first, it seemed like innocent and fun. But then, um, you know, after a while, she was like, well, you know, I better head back to my car. It's getting late and my parents are going to be worried. So as Tina tried to gather her belongings, Chris pulled out a, a three five seven Magnum pistol and pointed it directly at her head. And he told Tina, get in the car. You're not going anywhere. Don't look at me like that. So she obeyed his every command for two hours. Tina sat silently as Chris drove them south along the coast to San Diego, and he rented a cheap motel for them. Once inside, Chris attached the makeshift electrical torture device to Tina's fingers and toes. Then he spent the next few hours shocking and raping Tina over and over and over again. So between these sessions of torture and rape, Chris watched television again. All of a sudden, on the screen, it wasn't Dallas this time. It wasn't the soap opera. It was a special news bulletin that came on the screen. And it read, Christopher Wilder, now dubbed the Beauty Queen Killer, is wanted for the disappearances of several young women. And it also said that he was now on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Wow. So he's like,
0: (laughs) Well, she's probably terrified. I know.
1: She's like, Damn. So Chris couldn't believe the news, and he was like, I got to get out of here quickly. So he told her, he was like, help me pack my bags, please, help me, just help me. So Tina did as she was told, and the two ran to Chris's car, but Tina no longer felt scared. She felt like she needed to help Chris. Ah. So... Here's why. So, according to psychiatrist Dr. Frank Ochberg, Stockholm syndrome is a rare phenomenon where victims of abduction bond with their captor, initially terrified that their life is on the line. Victims experiencing Stockholm syndrome welcome any act of kindness with immense gratitude. As a result, the hostages experience a powerful, primitive, positive feeling toward their captor they're in denial. This is the person who put them in that situation. So, and in their mind, they think that this person is the only person that control if They, uh, live.
0: See, I always thought time was an element in that diagnosis or whatever you want to call it.
1: I don't know. I always thought you had to like, but I can see how that makes perfect sense. Well, because like,
0: the case it's based off of the guy was with the other, his captors or captor for a while.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you thought it developed. developed, Yeah. But, you know, I don't know if it has to do with her age and, you know, Mm. she hasn't experienced a lot in life. So, but regardless, she felt like she needed to help Chris because she was like, look, this might be my only way to survive. So, the more Tina helped Chris, the longer he kept her alive, which exactly what she wanted. So he told her that he had a friend in Canada and that they are going to go like lay low until the hunt stopped. Right. So they were going to go live with this guy in Canada until the hunt stopped for them.
0: I was but like, they oh, were. I need to be home for dinner. Right.
1: But they were still so far away from the Canadian border. So now they're in, uh, was it California, and they're yes. going to make their way towards New York now. So, New York. Like, they're going to go up through, like, New York and New Hampshire. So, um, let me see, let me see, let me see. Okay, so after six long days on the road, Chris and Tina arrived in a small town called Meriville, Indiana. So he told Tina, look, I promise to let you go if you go and find me a replacement. I just need a replacement for you. So Tina wanted so bad to live, she agreed, and she was like, I will, whatever you need. So on April 10th, Chris and Tina entered a crowded mall at the South Lake Mall in Maryville Indiana. So eventually, Chris found a girl that fit his criteria, so he settled on 16-year-old, the 16-year-old girl with short, dark hair named Donette, who was going store to store applying for jobs. So as part of their plan, Tina approached Donette with a friendly smile, and Tina said, "'Applying for jobs, I see?' If you're looking for a great job, I know the perfect place for you. And she motioned Chris. She's like, come here, come here, come here. So she was like, he is the manager at one of the stores here. He pays very well. Like y'all need to talk. So Chris came up and was like, hey there. Yeah, I manage a few of the stores around here. Are you looking for a job? We are definitely hiring. Um, And he's like, but shoot, I forgot uh, my applications. Do you want to go ahead and walk with me to my car? I don't have any on me and you can fill out one when we get to the car. So with Tina beside her, Donette felt safe enough, right? Because they're about not the same age, but close. And she had a really friendly smile. Um, So Donette felt safe enough to follow Chris outside. But once the trio got into his car, instead of pulling out an application, he pulled out a gun and he said, get into the car. So Chris drove the two girls to a nearby hotel and rented a room. So over the next two hours, Tina watched in horror as Chris tortured and raped Donette in front of her. But on April 12th, another news report popped up on the TV screen, except this time, instead of the FBI, it was Tina's mother, and she appeared before reporters. She begged Chris to spare her daughter's life, and Tina's watching this on the TV. So once again, Chris flew into a panic, and he told Tina to pack their bags and untie Donette from the bed. Then the three piled into his car, and they fled again.
0: Oh my God, now there's three of them.
1: Right, you can read my mind, honey. So Chris headed for the state line and he crossed over into New York. He forced Donette to take sleeping pills so she wouldn't put up a fight and stay in his control. So then Chris, like you just said, was like, there's no way that I'm gonna get away with this with two girls, like I, this, too many. Like there's three of us, it's too many. So after driving for some time, Chris found a back road that led deep into the woods. He parked the car and told Tina to stay put. He grabbed Donnette, dragged her outside and said, walk into those woods and don't look back. So even drugged, Donnette knew that she was going to die. So she, when Chris pulled out his knife, she calmly said, please, please, can you just shoot me instead? It'll be quicker and less oh. painful. I, I don't want to die that way. Please, please. I know you're going to kill me. Just can you shoot me instead? But Chris, being the fucking monster that he is, refused and instead tried to suffocate her before stabbing her twice in the chest. He ran into the car where Tina was still there and they drove away. But as they're driving, Chris is like, you know, I'm scared that I didn't kill her with those two stabs. Like, I'm scared. I think we need to go back. So he slammed the car into reverse and went headed back down that road to check and see if she was dead. And sure enough, Instead of finding Donette's body, he just saw a trail of blood leading away from the scene. She managed to escape. So while struggling to stay conscious, Donette was able to find a road and flag down a trucker. Stop. And she like, it said that she tied jeans around her. So I don't know if she tied jeans because she was naked or she tied the jeans around her to flag somebody down.
0: No, she probably tied it for a tourniquet.
1: To and cover herself bleeding. up. Oh, oh she tied it as a tourniquet yeah. to stop
0: the bleeding. Okay,
1: then that's what it is. So um, so Chris notices that she's gone. He's like, She got away. Shit, we have to switch cars quickly. So, the Drucker that found Donette drove her to Soldiers and Sailors' Hospital in Pinyon. I think that's a city. But Donette was in bad, bad, bad shape. So thankfully, Dr. John F. Flynn performed a life-saving surgery on Donette at the hospital, and she made a full recovery. So after being questioned by police, she told the locals that it was Chris and that he was headed for Canada. So a few hours later, Chris and Tina arrived. This is gonna this is really weird. We're about to get to a weird part. So a few hours later, Chris and Tina arrived at the Eastview Mall in Victor, New York. He drove slowly, scanning the lot for a perfect ride. So that's when Wilder pointed out a beautiful Pontiac Firebird. Don't know what that is. The car belonged to a 30-year-old single mother named Beth Dodge. She had gone to the mall to grab some lunch before picking up her four-year-old daughter from daycare. So Chris uh, tucked his pistol into his waistband and stepped out of the car. He then told Tina to get behind the wheel of the Mercury, the car that they had already stole, and follow him. Um, So before Beth could even step out of the car, Chris drew his gun and forced her to the passenger seat of her own car. Then he got behind the wheel and sped out of the parking lot. So he's in this car. Tina's in the car behind him now. We're not gonna do any victim blaming here because this is a hard situation. So Tina realized that she was alone in the safety of this vehicle now. So Tina was left with either, she could drive away to freedom or she could go along with Chris, Chris's plan. And she complica- contemplated, she went back and forth. You know, keep in mind, she is a teenager, halfway she across- a gun. Halfway across the country. And ultimately Tina followed Chris
0: he could have he went back for that other girl i know just turn the car around go and shoot her
1: but she decided to follow him so he followed chris to a vacant uh gravel pit outside of town so there chris marched beth into a dense patch of forest and shot her in the head so he had no interest in raping her he did not want her he just wanted her car he just wanted her car so and just like that they sped off in her firebird now so they ditched the other one and now they're in the uh, firebird So when they reached Boston, Chris took Tina. Okay, here's the weird part. I read this like, what the fuck? So when they reached Boston, Chris took Tina to the Logan Airport. She said, airport, what are we doing here? Like, where are we going now? Like, we're we're used to being in the cars, and are we about to get on an airplane? And he turned to her and said, Tina, you know, thank you so much for all your help. I'm going to die soon. I know it. And I don't want you to have to see it. You've been so helpful, so I brought—I uh, bought you a one-way ticket back home to California. So she was like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much!" Like oh, he's like, "You've helped me so much. It's the least I can do." But before they parted ways, Chris said, "You think I can have a kiss?" And Tina was scared that at any moment Chris would change his mind, so she did what he asked and gave him a kiss. So then she gets out of the car, still like, "Oh my gosh, is this real?" And she's like walking toward the gate and he rolls down the window. Bye Tina, write a book about our time together. (laughs) Don't worry, Misery Manor podcast got you covered. I'll write it. So although Tina had escaped Chris her ordeal was far from over. So when she landed in Los Angeles, she was met with all sorts of authorities and they forced her to answer some very difficult questions. So she was very honest with them and told them that she had helped out with some of the crimes. And so when the media found out about this, everybody was blaming Tina and made her seem like a bad guy.
0: She's 16. right?
1: So but 16-year-olds I
0: mean, can make bad decisions, obviously. That wasn't a great decision decision, but she was, like you said, she was scared.
1: Right. So however, it was thanks to Tina's brave testimony that the FBI was able to narrow their search to like the New England area. And more importantly, they knew what kind of car Chris was in and where he was headed. So the FBI radioed all the police officers in the area, telling them to be on the lookout for Chris. And he was last seen driving a like rust color. Firebird. So on April 13th, 1984, Chris drove the Firebird into the Vicks Getty service station in Colebrook, New Hampshire to ask for uh, directions. As he chatted with an attendant about the best way to get across the border, a patrol car spotted the Firebird and pulled over. Two New Hampshire state troopers, Leo Jellison and Wayne Fourier, approached Chris. um, And he was like, oh my God, Oh, my God. So he caught on and retreated to his car to arm himself with a gun.
0: Oh, so, he o- to die by uh, whatever. So officer, by suicide. officer- Suicide by cop. Sorry. I'm
1: sorry. Officer Jellison was able to grab Chris from behind, but in the scuffle, Chris was able to get away. Chris then grabbed the gun and turned it on himself and fired two shots. Hmm. One of the bullets passing straight through Chris's midsection, exiting his back and injuring the officer behind him. The second bullet went right through Chris's heart, killing him instantly. And that was the end of the extensive manhunt. So there is no trial for this. You know, it just kind of ended there. I mean, at least because he would have definitely went on to do it to more people. So I'm going to end on this. Guess what? So as I'm doing research on this, do you remember in episode 49, the Kansas city butcher, how he was obsessed and inspired by the movie, the collector, which Mm -hmm. was about a man that keeps women um, captive in his cellar. Well, when they were going through all of his belongings, that is one of the books that he had on him. So they think that he was inspired by that, like torture controlling kind of thing over women as well. Yeah. So Chris Walter was eventually cremated in Florida, leaving a personal estate worth more than eight million dollars. So in June of 1986, a court appointed arbitrator ruled mm-hmm. that the after tax balance was to be divided amongst the victims of the families yeah. of all of his victims. Good. So they were like, Here's rain and money. But I mean, that doesn't still doesn't make it right, but yeah. that's beautiful.
0: That is beautiful.
1: But yeah, that is the story of the beauty queen killer. Christopher Bernard Wilder is his name.
0: Ew. Rate, review, subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Bye-bye.